0: I want to get you to the point as an athlete where you can step out of the door any given day with no prep, no warning, no special breakfast, no set weather conditions, no tapering, no certain footwear required or certain playlists required and just go run a half marathon. Everyday people, the every man, the every woman can do something pretty incredible um, with the right mindset approach, dedication, commitment. The very point of that 50-mile run was the fact that I didn't train for it. The point was that not only could I go run 50 miles uh, with a weight vest on with three, four, five days notice, whatever, but I could do it and not get injured and not be in pain uh, and still go back and train two days later.
1: Welcome to the Project Human podcast. This episode is with Tom Hunt, athlete, coach and world record holder. We discuss his unconventional approach to endurance training and building the foundations of a well-rounded athlete. So, hi Tom, Um, thanks very much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation as uh, I think you have some interesting approaches to training um, and you've been able to achieve some really impressive feats yourself and with your clients perhaps using some methods that are a little bit uh, counterintuitive or unusual Um, so i'd really like to get into that but i think a good place um, for us to start off could be world records so as far as i I know you hold at least one world record Mm. um what's all that about what did you do there
0: um, yeah, I do. It is It is just the one. I was looking at doing a second one this summer, but um, Guinness didn't want to ratify that, unfortunately. Um, so, so that won't be a world record. But no, the one I do hold is for the greatest distance covered in a 24-hour period carrying a 40-pound pack. Um, so I achieved uh, a couple of hundred yards short of 71 miles in June 21, so about, what, 18, 9, 19-ish months ago now, 19, 20 months ago.
1: Um, what inspired that? What gave you the idea to give that a go?
0: Uh, it was kind of a combination of things. I'm a, I'm a really big fan of physical challenges that are also mental challenges anyway. Uh, and this was built on the back of, uh, of doing something the year before. So I did a a fifty-mile run wearing a weight vest, um, just around around my local area in Stafford during lockdown, just to raise a bit of money. Um, which in itself was one of these, one of these kind of spur of the moment thoughts. Where I thought, I'll see if I can do that. I'll see if I can do something a bit stupid and a bit crazy. It breaks things up and it could potentially raise a, a fair bit of money for charity. Um, and that, I, I think, gave me a a level of confidence that I'm going to achieve things probably a bit further than I'd already considered. I've done some kind of crazy stuff prior to that, some ultramarathons, some, uh, so a, uh, a particularly challenging iron distance triathlon known as the, the brutal triathlon in Wales, uh, and, you know, several other bits and pieces, but then combine that with the fact that I'd spent well, I'm, I'm still part of the uh, the Army Reserve. I've been in the Army in total for about 20 years now, about 13 years regular, about seven years reserve. And obviously carrying loaded um, or loaded marching, carrying packs on your back is kind of bread and butter for, for soldiering um, I, to a degree across the world, but certainly in this country. Um, so I guess combine all of that together, and I have this, this desire to set a world record, probably for for reasons that I guess a lot of people don't try and set world records. I don't know the the way I envisage it. At least there are a couple of different reasons that people try and set records. The first one would be to prove to themselves and others that they have um, achieved something, a, a level of something that other people haven't. You know, so the the classic example would be the hundred meters. Um, for for men or for women. Um, I know the the men's numbers slightly better. So Usain Bolt sprinted 100 meters, but 9.58, faster than any other human has ever been in history, right? So he wanted to prove that he could run faster than any other measured human. Um, I think the flip side of that is wanting to prove to people that actually everyday people, the every man, the every woman can do something pretty incredible um, with the right mindset approach, dedication commitment and um, so rather than trying to prove that you sit above everybody else just prove simply that you are one of everybody else and you can put yourself into this position just with the with the right approach and that was that was more my thinking in terms of what I do for a living I work with you know people across all all different backgrounds with all different goals and needs. Um, and to just, I guess, try and inspire them a little bit to see that they can do much more than they would imagine from their own front rooms. Um, and then the, the the final part of it for me was curiosity. I've always enjoyed, since I found health and fitness from a state of the almost exact opposite, um, just over a decade ago, I've always had this interesting in all aspects across the spectrum and endurance and power strength uh, are often regarded as existing at opposite ends of the spectrum. So I wanted to test theories of training that I had and I wanted to put my money where my mouth was. So actually go out and say, look, I'm not just saying this is possible. I'm going to go out and do it. Um, And that's in regards to not just the way you approach the event with your training physically, but also in terms of what your body can do alongside, during, after those kinds of events that people traditionally have thought aren't possible. So yeah, it was a combination of factors that brought it into being. Um, And largely my motivations were curiosity and wanting to uh, inspire everyday people to do something a little bit beyond what they might think they're capable of.
1: Mm, I absolutely love that. I think we can be very quick to put limitations on ourselves and assume that the um, the highest performers have got something um, that we haven't, which is true to an extent. Um, but until, until you try something and uh, with the the right kind of guidance, the right kind of um, methodology. You don't really know what you're capable of yourself. And, yeah, I think many people are afraid to even really start. So uh, if you can do something that's relatable to people, um, yeah, I can see that being very inspiring. Um, But your own training, um, you're not just an endurance specialist. You just touched on that towards the end of what you were saying there. I believe you, you compete in... CrossFit and weightlifting as well, is that right?
0: Yeah, um, so I guess the basis of my training, uh, the foundation of my training is, has been and probably always will be CrossFit. I found CrossFit around about 11 years ago now. Um, I was very overweight, um, heavy smoker, heavy drinker, uh, subsisted almost entirely on junk food and worked out as little as possible. I was, I was in the army at the time. So, you know, I had, um, had to do some physical work, but I, I was lazy. I I tried to avoid it as much as I can or as much as I could. Sorry. Um, CrossFit was the thing that snapped me out of that. Um, I went looking deliberately for different ways to approach overhauling my health because I tried several times. I'd gotten nowhere and the army's view to fitness back then was basically running. So all I'd done is run till I got injured, got disheartened. Um, gone back to heavy drinking and smoking, and uh, gave up a bit. Tried again in a few months, and it just—it was this never-ending cycle. I didn't—I I didn't really enjoy running. Um, I still don't. You'll be surprised to know it's, it's still not um, my preferred form of exercise. Um, but yeah, I—I I discovered CrossFit, and I mean, I—I I got CrossFit wrong, and I put that in inverted commas because it's—it's kind of difficult to get CrossFit wrong, but. Um, i got crossfit quite wrong i i was self-taught for the first 18 months um back then wi-fi wasn't as commonly available things weren't as easy to view on your phone so i used to i used to watch youtube videos at home and then i used to run to the gym about a mile away do my workout go home and realize i got something wrong so i'd watch a video again and go back and try again and i sort of spent 18 months literally teaching myself from youtube videos reading blogs following the crossfit website so that Uh, that was what what lit the fire for me it was what helped me turn my life around health and fitness wise um and it's where the the overwhelming majority of my knowledge came from not just directly through studying courses with CrossFit but the things CrossFit led me to so the stuff on the fringes of CrossFit some of the the subject matter experts who were thought leaders in their own way that were immersed in CrossFit in the early days. And, and you know, some of them still are and still exist in the community. And these are, these are world leaders at innovation and being prepared to try training methods and apply principles that just would have been laughed out of the park a couple of decades ago and, and in some circles still are. Um, but within that framework of CrossFit, I have really enjoyed exploring the fringes. So I've done a bit of strongman stuff, um, at the lighter weights, I've done quite a lot of ultra stuff, ultra endurance stuff in terms of running, mountain ultras, two day stuff, ultra distance obstacle course, racing, um, obviously loaded marching, um, triathlon at at that kind of distance as well. And then I've done quite a lot of weightlifting. So weightlifting is probably the other speciality niche that I have the most to do with. Um, Both as an athlete and a coach, I'm never going to be and never have been the greatest of weightlifters, but I do okay at at a a sort of semi-interested master's level. Um, It's it's certainly much more a a hobby than an obsession. Uh, but at a coaching level, yeah, I've, I've been really lucky to be involved with the army weightlifting team as a performance coach uh, and to personally oversee a couple of the athletes from the team as well, a couple of our really good lifters, which has given me the opportunity to obviously put into practice some of the stuff that I'm just not the athlete to test on. Uh, I, I don't have either the, the time, the commitment, the, the base level strength, whatever it is, so I can put those theories into practice on people who do have that potential and ability. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess to finish off answering your question in the most long-winded way possible, um, <laughs> CrossFit has always been the basis of what I've done, um, and it's the thing I love to both do and coach. But it's, I think, a platform for me to go off and explore the realms of what's possible in pretty much any physical discipline.
1: Mm, yeah, I like it. It's so important, I think, to be well-rounded um unless your, your job is um to achieve a particular physical feat um for yeah for, for average people for people who are working normal jobs um mm. it's, it's too easy to fall into a particular type of training that you love let's say you, you like running and just run and run and run and become yeah quite specialized at that but weak in other areas uh, which yeah. i think is something we'll get into a little bit uh, yeah. shortly but uh yes interesting transition you mentioned as well going from um not being interested in training at all to actually uh what you've achieved and becoming a coach so what was your what was your origin story as a coach how did you get into working with clients
0: <laughs> um it was kind of a a fusion of two passions really so in the army i was um an instructor in a, a variety of military subjects. So sort of military skills, handling weapons, firing weapons, uh, marching and, and uh, all all kinds of other stuff. You know, there's, um there's a, a, a long history of instruction in the army and some of the instructional qualifications, they're quite, uh, quite regimented as you probably expect. And um they, they pride themselves on the quality of instruction. I, I, I really enjoyed instructing just as a just as a general field, uh, almost regardless of the subject. And then when I found fell in love with fitness, the the logical evolution for me was I want to teach other people this. I I really enjoy instructing. Uh, I really enjoy helping people go from not being able to do something to being able to do something. Uh, and I, I I rediscovered the the love I had as a teenager for being fit, being in shape, doing physical stuff. And I wanted to help other people achieve that. So I think it was pretty much as simple as that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think once you once you feel the um effect of it on your own life and how it can filter into so many other things, the confidence that it gives you and just the higher energy and all the all the benefits that you get from taking a bit of care of uh, your health and fitness and your nutrition. Uh, Yeah, you generally naturally do want to share it, especially if you see other people struggling. Um, There's a lot of easy wins for people who haven't even made a start. Uh, It doesn't have to all be slog and pain and no pain, no gain and all that kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, what I'd like to really uh, get into a little bit more is um, your approach to training for these um, ultra endurance events that you've done yourself, and um, perhaps uh, some of your clients. Um, yeah, what would your what would your training have looked like for, um, let's say, um, the uh, ultra run that you said you did um, before the world record? Um,
0: how would your training have looked around that time? So. Um... I can answer that two different ways and I think it'll actually answer your question uh ho- hopefully in the in the manner you're hoping for so the point the the very point of that fifty mile run was the fact that I didn't train for it so the conversation somebody I was having a, a back and forth with a um a, a peer a colleague online over a couple of days uh over a weekend and i I'd run a few ultra marathons the a couple of years before so this happened 2020 so 2018 I'd run um four or five ultras um an ultra obstacle course race 2019 I'd done the, uh, so September 2019 I'd done the the iron distance triathlon in Snowdonia so you know kind of like that on the bike course the run was over the mountain and, and all this kind of stuff uh, but I haven't run over 5 miles probably since then so in about an eight nine month period i just hadn't run over five miles um and when i had run it was usually as part of a, a workout a crossfit workout or occasionally a trail run over on avcanic chase just round the corner which is extremely extremely great to have on your doorstep um so you know a couple of trail runs three four five miles on there but i haven't been focusing on running i haven't done much of it um and by large the conversation was look i think i could still go run 40 miles without training now at the time 40 miles was the furthest i'd ever run in one row i'd done a 40 mile ultra on i think two occasions i had done a, a 40 mile obstacle course race um and so i said look i i think i could still run 40 miles and then i sort of said to the guy that i'll i'll go do it next weekend and uh He's like, no, 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 you, you definitely can't. You'd need to train for something like that. You'd need to be, because we were talking about specificity of training. And uh, and I said, look, you, you just don't need to. Once you have a base, you can go do that stuff. Um, and anyway, I got to thinking over the next couple of days and I got to the point where I was thinking, right, everybody knows I'm already a bit daft. And I'm already a bit crazy. So if I want to raise a bit of money, nobody's going to pay me money if I go run 40 miles, because I've done that before. So I thought, right, how can I make it different? So I thought, okay, well, let's do it 50 miles because then at least I run further than I've ever been before. 50 is kind of this benchmark distance that people have in their heads. It'll be seen as a bit larger. And I'd also kind of worked out a rough loop around me that I knew I'd be able to do with nine laps for 50 miles. Um, Just the the natural loop, the way it works around the town. Um, So 50 miles kind of set in and I thought, Do you know what? I'm actually going to try and grab people's attention a little bit. So I'm going to do it in a weight vest as well, a nine kilogram, so a 20-pound weight vest. Um, And I I made my mind up I was going to do this on the Tuesday, and I did the event on the Saturday. So to answer your question, the training I did for that event was one trail run. I went out for a trail run on the Tuesday evening uh, over on Cannock Chase for about three or four miles just to uh, see, I I can't remember if I wore my vest or not, just to see if I could still run at my normal kind of pace and if I was going to have to adapt and how it felt and all the rest of it. Um, And that was about, I don't know, three or four miles, whatever it was. Um, So I did no training is the answer for that 50-mile run. Um, And that was, yeah, it was kind of stubbornness to prove a point, but it was also... Proof of concept. Now, I'm N equals one in this experiment, right? So I'm I'm not going to write this up as any kind of study claiming a um, a new dominant practice in the field of endurance or anything like that. But the point was that not only could I go run 50 miles uh, with a weight vest on with three, four, five days notice, whatever, but I could do it and not get injured and not be in pain uh, and still go back and train two days later. So um, – mm. So, yeah, the, the year before, no training, no specific training, let's say. Obviously, I was still training, you know, five, six days a week, general CrossFit stuff, but but no specific training.
1: Right, okay, so fascinating story. Somebody listening to this could think, well, Tom's just a beast. Uh, he's, he's ex-military. He's good at suffering. Um, yeah, I, nobody other, – other people can't do this. I can't do this. So how about – People that you've trained, as I know you've trained um, some ultra runners or some, I think, multi-day events as well that you've done. Um, Yeah. What's your approach to training with them? How have they got on?
0: So the rules, the principles, we'll call them principles, not rules. The principles are universal. And the principles that I believe in are this. I want to get you to the point as an athlete Where you can step out of the door any given day with no prep, no warning, no special breakfast, no set weather conditions, no tapering, no certain footwear required or certain playlists required and just go run a half marathon. I'm not bothered about your time, but I want you to be able to do it without stopping. And I want you to be able to do it at a pace you dictate rather than having your pace dictated to you too much because you're slowing down because you're too fatigued. And I want you to be able to do it without needing fuel or water. Just step out the door, go run a half marathon. So my first priority is to get somebody to that standard. Um, And once you are at that standard, and the weird thing is it's difficult to know because we don't go running half marathons to train for a half marathon. So I don't. Anyway, I know other people do, but not my thing. So I'm going to throw you one in as a test and I'm going to do it without any notice. And I'm just going to tell you, go step out the door, run me a half marathon. And that might take somebody two hours. It might take somebody, they might be a racing snake and go under an hour and a half. It doesn't really matter. I'm more interested in not only how they do it, but also how they recover from it as well. Because I want them back in the gym the next day. And I don't want them in the gym the next day, going back to what you just said, because they're tough and they can do it. I want them in the gym the next day because they feel okay to go train. Yeah, we're not going to get them to max out a back squat the day after a half marathon, but they should be able to move. They should be able to get blood flowing. They should be able to uh, feel okay. They shouldn't feel um, a high level of systemic fatigue that's going to wipe them out for days. They should be able to take that in their stride, pardon the pun, and carry on with life and training. And that's what I'm after. When we're at that stage, honestly – Depending on how far somebody's got to run, I'm not going to get them running long very often. And this really surprises people, especially when I speak to people in the ultra community who are established in the ultra community. Because uh, this is like heresy to them because they want to be hitting these 100 mile weeks. And just to put it into context, when I did my, um, my build up from my world record training, the furthest I ever went was 20 miles. And I only used to go long once every two weeks. That's it. So Sunday every other week was my long day. Um, <clears throat> the weeks in between that, I did a fixed 10 miles, so a fixed distance of 10 miles. Um, and then each week i do one other specific training session, everything else was generic training. And this is the approach I take with clients. So they do one, possibly two specific sessions a week, depending on the goal and depending on their start standard would dictate the exact numbers there. Um, the focus for me is always going to be um, – well, okay, so let's zoom back out. There are three things that I want to consider when somebody's got a very specific goal. So somebody comes to me and says, right, Tom, I want to run 50 miles. Cool. I've got to understand they're not a runner. That's not their life. That's not what their life revolves around. Even if they identify as a runner, they've still got other things that if it boils down to it are still the priority. Whereas Elliot Kipchoge chasing a two-hour marathon Nothing else was a priority in his life at that time. That was his sole focus. For these people, that's not true. They've still got jobs. They've still got uh, wives, husbands, children, whatever. They've still got responsibilities. They've still got a house to run. They've still got a social life, all the rest of it. So I want to do three things. I want to um, increase their muscular endurance specific to the event that they want to do. So for endurance running, that's a lot of stuff around the ankles, knees, and hips, right? In terms of uh, the joints themselves and the muscles that articulate those joints. I want to increase their resilience to injury, which for me, that my current understanding of that looks like an uh, increased range of motion at the joint and an increased muscle length over which to absorb eccentric forces. That's what I would currently interpret that as. Uh, That's what I see as physical tolerance. Um, And then the other thing, and this is the thing that's so often forgotten when we talk about specificity, um, is to train the deficits of their sport. So any single sport where you you get really specialised is going to create deficits. And those deficits later in life are going to be the things you either struggle with and can't get back or the things that cause injuries really really common example in runners is it's a very limited range of motion sport. the further you run the more limited range of motion because the less um, the less heel lift and knee raise there is per stride which means that the hip and the knee articulate less and less and less the further distance you run the slower you run more uh, more to the point. So the deficits are obviously increased ankle knee and hip range of motion. For the lower body but also upper body strength nobody ever does upper body strength for runners well i've got a uh, a guy in his mid 70s now who's been with me about five years he used to run 10 miles in under an hour uh, back in his day which is a, a fair benchmark a good pace a good standard good national county level runner um but he came to me in his late 60s couldn't take his own t-shirt off over his head because he'd got such severe atrophy of his upper body muscles. So, you know, we spent a lot of time correcting for that fit, healthy guy his whole life, but he'd, he'd atrophied to the point where he couldn't use his upper body couldn't live his, lift his arms above his shoulders. Um, but the other side to it is I've been and done mountain ultra marathons where you're required to carry a minimum kit list on your back. Um, and I've watched people actually sustain upper body injuries because they're carrying three or four kilos. That's it, you know, sort of up to 10 pounds maximum on the back. And that's causing problems. So I'm going mm-hmm. to train people that way as well. So as a rough balance, if somebody's got a goal as lofty as running 50 miles, I want to see them training five days a week. And I'm going to dedicate three of those sessions most likely to strength and conditioning, and then two of those sessions specifically to their goal. Once they've achieved that standard of being able to step out the door and run a half marathon at a moment's notice.
1: Mm, That's great. I think in my own just anecdotal experience of people I've trained or trained with, um, I've seen people who are generally strong do well in um, half marathon distances uh, and around that sort of level with almost no training uh, specific to running or just very infrequent, once or twice a week, uh, a run at a, an enjoyable pace. Um, and there are a couple of people I can think of in particular who have entered the Birmingham Half Marathon and done reasonably well, probably better than a lot of people who had done much more mileage building up to it but they were generally strong, um, doing things like kettlebells, martial arts training, so well, quite well-rounded training, mm. uh, some running in there but not running as the main focus. So some of my um, <laughs> running clients who I work with who are more around uh, middle distance and 5Ks up to half, half and maybe full marathons, I often hear them say, I just need to do more mileage, I need to get more miles under my belt. Um, but often they can't really give a, uh, let's say, a scientific reason as to why they need to do more miles. It's more of a feeling for them. So I don't want to dismiss their their subjective experience because some of them have been doing this a long while and they've been getting some good results. But I always question that if you can't actually explain why you need to do mile, more miles, um, mm-hmm. why are you doing them? Um, because I also see the other side of that is the
0: um, increased injury risk from just the sheer amount of repetition. This is it. It's it's a war of attrition. So uh, just increasing your mileage is a war of attrition. And the injury rates are phenomenally high. You know, over a a 24-month period, they're over 90%. And when we say over 90%, we're talking about people who have to miss part of their training or a race through injury. Now, for a a sport as monostructural as running, that shouldn't be the case because actually you would assume that the skill level required is low enough such that you should be able to master the skill and just concentrate on uh, volume and proficiency and other physiological adaptations. And that's not the case. So I think what's important to understand uh, from my perspective is a couple of things. Firstly, running is a skill, more so than people think, and faster runners aren't always better runners. And I think a lot of faster runners take a knock to the ego when we try and regress them a little bit in order to stop heel striking so that they stop building up the the heels. Uh, We try and make them a little bit more efficient with the breathing, for example. So few runners have ever paid attention to their breathing, uh, (laughs) done a breathing practice, and they can literally – they're just leaving time on the table, you know. So over over a half marathon, for example, I would argue I can make pretty much anybody five minutes fitter without them doing any increased running training um, just through addressing the breathing patterns. Um, but when you do run, rather than just increasing mileage, let's increase the quality of the mileage. So let's actually turn it into skill. Let's look at hitting close to that 180 strides per minute cadence if we can and getting that free kinetic energy return from each stride let's look at pulling the heel to the backside before we've straightened the trail leg behind us so that we're reusing the energy efficiently. Let's look at relaxing the upper body and not crossing the midline so we're not inducing rotation, requiring muscular effort, the obliques and taking away some of that oxygen that we need for the working muscles. Um, And that's That's all running specific. That's all form type stuff that we can and should look at. Um, But we've got to understand the further we run, the more that's going to break down. And the most recent thing you did is what your body's going to default to. It's what it's going to remember. So we want that to be good quality. So let's shorten it up and increase the quality. And then the other thing I am a huge, huge fan of is pre-fatigue. So I said to you that I would normally look for three days in the gym and two running days. In an ideal scenario i'd actually look for a hybrid day so long runs what i do with a lot of people especially if they're short on time is i will give them a, a leg heavy session in the gym so it's, it could be an all-body session it could be a workout but it's going to at least fatigue the legs to a good degree and then send them running because what they're going to get then is what we call pre-fatigue so they're going to be running under the fatigue that they might have induced by running a another 10 miles beforehand but they've done it for a gym session so we can we can put 10-15 miles of fatigue in the legs through a 15-20 minute gym workout and then send them out for a 6 mile run and their body is going to be running as if they've run 20 miles now they've got the bonus of both sides there we've given them both without having to expose them to that higher mileage and increased risk of injury but also without having to take 2, two and a half hours out of their day they've just lost an hour instead so there's there, there's always the argument isn't there that you know we, we've always done this and it and it works okay and there are some great arguments yeah. for that i mean the the famous anecdote is the boston track club in the 80s who had i think 7 8 members at one point who were running a sub 2:14 marathon i mean these are world class times even today um and these guys ran and they ran hard 6 days a week and that was it they did no strength mm. and conditioning they did no mobility work no flexibility they just ran 6 days a week uh, you get it with weightlifting the bulgarian weightlifting team they lifted in excess of 95% two sessions per day 6 days a week for years and it was but it was a war of attrition and we know this and this is the problem mm. you see products of the war of attrition the success stories and we assume that the training got them there which of course to some degree it did what we don't understand often is if that we zoom out for everyone that made it, there's a hundred that didn't. And for oh, yeah. every man, every woman, that's not smart training. Uh, and we are guilty across all sports of taking what the elite do and trying to scale it down for us. And that doesn't work.
1: Mm, yeah. I think as well, we, we train for reasons that we can't always really fully explain, um, in terms of their benefits, on performance I think sometimes we're training um, because we enjoy it because it's the thing that you do after work um, and for confidence feeling like if you're going into a race everybody else is going to have trained five or six times a week I can't be the only person there who's only run twice a week um, so there can be o- other factors I think um, uh, sort of psychological factors around why we train um, so just to kind of round out this uh, idea around running volume, if you're training somebody who's running for um, – or training for a marathon, how many times are they going to do a long distance in a, a week or a fortnight? or how, how, many, how frequently will they do something that's close to the marathon distance in their training?
0: Okay, so a lot of this does depend on the individual. It depends on their prior experience. So I'm going to speak uh, anecdotally as an example – about a client I'm currently building up for a marathon. Um, She's never run marathon distance before. To my knowledge, has never run anything over about, say, 8 to 10 miles. So my first priority is to build up some kind of tolerance to distance, but understanding that if she does that too quickly, she's not conditioned for distance, she will get injured and that will dishearten her and she'll probably never reach her goal. So... Once per week, she's going to gradually notch up the distance. And some weeks, that's going to be through a long, slow run, which I'm not a huge fan of, but there is some necess- some necessity to specify. Um, and the other weeks, because of the reasons I explained surrounding uh, maintenance of quality, making each piece a skill piece rather than just going out and running, we're going to do what I call long intervals. So six, eight, even ten one-mile repeats, for example, or four, five, six, one-and-a-half, two-mile repeats, so that each one is approached as a fresh piece with a focus on cadence and foot strike and breathing and all the rest of it. Um, But then there's a period of recovery because we want quality and we want to reduce the injury risk, but there is still an undeniable fact that we need to get mileage in. And the goal with somebody like that is to build them up Um, depending on adherence to the program and that's huge because you can't always predict that out front I want to build them up to somewhere between 20 and 23 miles prior to going and doing the marathon now I really need to add at this point that's based on somebody who wants to complete the marathon not compete in the marathon so for them it's very much not about times it's about running and getting to the end Uh, and that's really important because it is a different approach
1: hmm yeah, really interesting. I think you've, um, you've touched on quite a few things there for, for people to give some thought about how they could uh, maybe think a little bit more deeply about their training um, for these longer distances. Um, maybe changing direction a little bit. Um, what are you focused on yourself at the moment as an athlete or perhaps something new that you're working on for your clients? Um, yeah. You know, what,
0: what's new in those two areas for you at the moment? So, yeah, as a, as an athlete, I guess it's a little bit frustrating right now. Um, although, yeah, I so I did have a plan for this June. So I tend to do something stupid each June. Um, so this, uh, this last year, uh, 2022, I did the mountain murph. So three peaks with a weight vest on, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats at the top of each mountain. Um, the year before was the world record. The year before that was... Uh, the 50 mile run, the weight vest. So the, the idea this year was to do what we call the long carry, which is a marathon distance carrying a, I believe 65 kilo yoke. This is the one that Guinness said they wouldn't ratify. Um, now I've had to postpone indefinitely uh, that purely because I've had a few months of illness, a couple of little injuries uh, setbacks to the point where I don't think it's smart. And, um, to focus my training on that while the foundation that i built is not as stable as it was. So although I'm a huge advocate for being able to push the boundaries of strength, endurance, uh, flexibility, coordination, anything else you choose to name from a broad foundation rather than a specific foundation. Um, I still contend that without that broad foundation, you should only be focusing on the foundation. So right now I've regressed fully to rebuilding foundations. So I'm doing very basic workouts um, with a very broad focus and remit, which is great for enjoyment anyway, to be honest, and great for your ego because it brings you back down to earth and just makes you refocus on the basics, which is which is awesome because we tend to lose sight of those sometimes and think we've elevated ourselves beyond them when, of course, we never do, and that's the secret. Um but I'm still trying to come up with an idea for something to do in June. So, not unfortunately, a marathon yoke carry. That's just not going to be possible. That's too. I mean, that that was looking at taking me in the order of 27 to 30 hours by best estimates. So that's not that's not something to be sniffed at. That was that was going to do serious physical damage, and I'm not in the uh, in the right condition to expose myself to that stimulus. So, I'm looking for something that is achievable, but is still a little bit bonkers. So I guess eyes peeled for that one. As for something I'm doing for clients, so I released um, I released a couple of things at the end of last year or the back sort of third quarter of last year. So one of them was a free get your first pull up program. It's just one of the things I notice in fitness that is a is a a gap a lot of people never bridge is the difference between. Doing a regressed version of pull-ups with bands or bodyweight rows or or something else, and actually doing pull-ups. And once you can do them, of course, you can do them and build on them. But it was just getting across that threshold. Start with so few people were were making that move. So it was more of um, my attempt to be altruistic and put out a free program. So I I put that out last year, uh, and I also put out the final well penultimate part of my run strong series which is the run heavy program which is designed at people who need to run with weight for either sport or for a living so law enforcement military or people like competitive crossfitters or just random lunatics like me who want to go running really long distances with loads of weight on and that is all the programming principles i've just spoken to you about um put into into a program that puts its money where its mouth is and says, go do this for nine weeks and and see where you get to. Um, and it's it's really quite flexible as well. So whatever load you are gonna carry or want to see an improvement in carrying, so it could be just body armor of three, four, five kilos that you wear as a police officer, or it could be you know full breathing apparatus as a firefighter. It could be just a backpack that you go hill walking, hiking with, and you just wanna improve your fitness for that. Um, the, the program allows for that and spits you out as a better load-carrying athlete the other end. Um, but then the next project, um, I'm actually looking at a handstand push-up version of the pull-up program. So relatively specific to CrossFit, I guess, although I do see a fair few mixed modality athletes of, of broader uh, interests maybe doing handstand push-ups these days, Um Again, it's one of those things that I think once you've got that first handstand push-up, you, you've got something to build on then, and most people can do that, but it's just getting that first one. So I, I want to build a, a very similar program and get people their first handstand push-up.
1: Hmm. That sounds great. Some really useful resources there by the looks of it. Um, who, who do you think at the moment is doing something interesting? Um, is there anyone that you'd be interested to learn from or train with? Um in the so, fitness performance world?
0: Yeah, I think you and I have both obviously had quite a few dealings with Keegan. Um, that guy has something unique to my mind in his ability to spot connections, connections between methods and outcomes, connections between, um, he, he's, he's uniquely able to spot what's not being done and, Problems that may occur in the future that haven't yet. Now, cynics will tell you that that's just creating a solution for a problem that doesn't exist to sell it to you. I would contend that what he's actually doing, and I, you know, I've, I've seen obviously the the results of him having done this with higher level athletes. He can identify something that's missing that they might not realize is missing. But of course, you can go test most of these things and say, you know, you don't have strength in this position here or this position here or whatever. And he can still correct it because he can spot an absence or a deficit in training, uh, which is unique. I mean, we all like to talk about having a coach's eye, the ability to spot something that's going wrong. Um and to be able to correct it, of course. But I think to spot something that's missing completely is actually a higher-level skill. Um, there are a, a, a couple of people online. I'm going to go with a fringe example here because um, because why not? I can um, So he's actually a nutrition guy, but he has a very, very in-depth understanding of the physical side as well. Um, a guy called Rob Wolf. So... He he's been around for years, Rob with a double D So for anyone who wants to look him up, he's been around for years. And I first became aware of him twenty eleven, maybe. Um and he was always known as the paleo guy, and he wrote a couple of paleo books back in the day and this kind of stuff. But if you if you dig a little bit beyond that veneer of I guess clickbait sales titling of stuff um th- there's so much there that that guy uh if i if i had infinite resources to be coached one-on-one it would be by him when it came to food nutrition but just broader health as well so things like supplementation things like the way immunity works all this kind of stuff that guy um leads the field in my opinion or at, at least is one of the thought leaders up there uh, and then two more people who i admire in their ability to combine theory and practice in a way that I think is unique in our space. A guy called Brian McKenzie, uh, he's pretty famous in his own right. He used to run back in the day, the CrossFit endurance courses. He runs uh, a company called Shift State now, which was power speed endurance for a while. I've dabbled with a lot of their stuff, especially their breathing courses, because he takes theoretical concepts and actually puts them into practice, makes them applicable. So I've done his coaching course and it's a, uh, a really, really good course. Um, and it, it's the foundation actually of the breathing tools I still use with athletes to these day. Uh, to this day, I've tweaked them a little bit, but you know what he's done, the work he's done in that field is, is phenomenal and continues to do. And he has worked with a hell of a lot of top athletes very successfully. Um, and then the final guy is, um, uh, well, from uh, XPT, <coughs> excuse me. So, um Laird Hamilton uh and his wife Gabby Reese and they have a couple of trainers who work with them quite a lot and they're very much into the breath regulated um work in the pool with dumbbells they do a lot of um water-based training a lot of breath hold type training a lot of breath regulation um and I think all of this breath stuff very current to me at the moment because having been very ill, it's my lungs, my airway that's compromised and I I get out of breath walking up the stairs and what have you. So I'm I'm revisiting that stuff at the most basic level and trying to rebuild from the ground up, as I did many, many years ago when I first started dabbling with breathing. So I'm I'm kind of reliving and relearning a lot of it. Um and it it just reminds me how game changing these coaches are. These these are people who are at a level that you know, I, I hope to reach at some point in my life.
1: Some great recommendations there for people to look up. Um, Rob Wolf was a big one for me as well. Uh, always been a big inspiration. Um, somebody whose career I look at and, you know, hope to try to emulate in some ways myself. Um, yeah, I was probably a fairly early follower of his work as well. Um, yeah, some some good good uh, names for people to type into their search engine and find out a bit more about. So, um, I think we probably should, um, bring this towards a conclusion. So you mentioned your run strong program, your run heavy program. Uh, I believe those are available as eBooks and, um, actual paper copy, hard copy books. Yeah, yeah, so you exactly. have those available, What? <laughs> so, um, Yeah, where can people find those? Where can people find anything else um, that you have on offer at the moment?
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, my website is tomhunttraining.com, and that's broadly split into three sections. So there's the um, run strong part of the website, which is, as you would expect, all the the running-related stuff for people who are into that kind of stuff. There's a physical freedom uh, page, which is, where I kind of meld all my random ideas together. So if you want a pull-up program or a, a random T-shirt, it'll be on there. But that's also where I focus all of my other kind of training. So there's a program that people can jump on and follow along that's released weekly, a six-day-a-week program. There's all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's this. The, the rest of the website kind of caters to uh, the clients I deal with face-to-face. Um, yeah, but all available through the same spot.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, Tom. Um, really enjoy finding out what you're working on, discussing these training methods. Um, very grateful for everything that you've shared. Uh, I think that should um, inspire people to think a little bit different, differently and uh, hopefully look up what you're doing. So thanks very much for your time.
0: No, fingers crossed. I really appreciate you having me on Imran. It's been good.